This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash England. A bit of shameless plugging uh, has already been done by me, Stella Hall, Festival Director at Preston Guild. Um, so in answer to the question, can great art be done on telly, I hope when you switch on BBC One at midday, on Good Friday, you will see that uh, together with Mark Murphy, Walt the Plank uh, and the BBC, Preston Guild um, has had a go at least. <laughs> shameless plugging, and there's some other shameless plugging on those seats as well. So um, we've got some questions to answer uh, this afternoon, and we've got a job to do. We're the, one, we're the problem solvers. We've got the Sherlockian uh, session, I, I understand. Uh, so uh, uh, um, the Dr. Watsons of that Sherlockian session, uh, to my right, um, uh, Bradley Hemmings, Artistic Director of Greenwich and Docklands Festival and also Co-Artistic Director of the, uh, the cere- Closing Ceremony, Opening, opening Ceremony for the, the Paralympic Games with, uh, with Jenny Searle, which is very exciting. On my left, he said, don't call me Doctor, but because I just have... <laughs> because he's Dr Watson, as well as Dr Xerxes Mazda uh, at the British uh, uh, Museum, Head of Learning, Volunteers and Audiences. Um, He said, don't give me a long-winded introduction. It'll all come out through the presentations, so let's hope that it does. We're not going to talk about what's come out of this morning until after their presentation's provocations, uh, so we can have a, a seamless synthesis of what comes out of those what's come out of this morning, what's come out of this afternoon, and move into our problem-solving mode. OK. Um, I, I think there was a bit of housekeeping I should have done. I did sweep up, but I didn't find out about um, if there's going to be a fire alarm. So I'm assuming, because I have been told, haven't been told, there won't be. Uh, exits are where you came in. Uh, there's one over there and there's a, another one over there for us to make a quick getaway. Anna, anything else we need to say? When people uh, ask questions... Oh, yes. I'll say that bit when we get to them. Oh, evaluation forms. How brilliant was that session in the afternoon on artists and audiences? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Moving uh, swiftly on then. Okay. So, can everyone hear me okay? The mic's working? Yep, brilliant. So... Um, before I move on to the three questions I was asked to answer, um, a, a tiny bit of background. So I come from the British Museum, um, and I'll be talking about audiences within a context of a museum, and specifically a museum like the British Museum. So one that exhibits remarkable... Um, so there, there we go, the British Museum, the Great Court at the British Museum. Um, one that exhibits um, remarkable examples of art from across the world. Uh, and here are a couple... And across human history... And here are just a couple of my own favourites um, from A History of the World. Um, you've got the Ice Age art um, swimming reindeer, about 13,000 years old. Um, and then one of my absolute favourites, the Ife head, um, between 1300 and 40, early 1400s. Um, however, I would pose the question, just to start with, you know, is everything that we collect art? Is it really art? Things like the Rosetta Stone... 
Does it matter? Who decides whether it's art? All questions that we're not going to be tackling today, all questions I think that are, are, worth, are worth throwing out. Certainly, we at the museum don't always think of ourselves as an art museum. Um, and one of the things that we know is that our audiences don't think of us necessarily as an art museum. Which brings me on to the very first question, which is, are audiences for the arts changing? And I would say, in order to answer that question, we first have to ask the question... Um, what do we know about our audiences? How can we know whether they're changing if we don't know that much about them? Now, at the British Museum, and in fact across a lot of museums in the UK, we know a lot about our audiences. There are many different ways of dividing up audiences. What we tend to do is to divide them up by motivation. What motivates them to come? And as you'll see, some of these... Are more, um, more suggest that people are coming because they see us as an art museum, they want to engage with us as a collection of art than other people. Um, very simply, working with the Manchester-based Morris Hargreaves McIntyre, we've put together um, four different reasons why people come. Um, the main three, people come for social reasons. So people come to spend time with friends and family or possibly to do what we might call sightseeing. Okay. Now, what I should say is that people will come to our museum for lots of different motivations, and, those motiv and the same people might come for different motivations on different days. And in fact, during a visit, their motivations might change. But they'll always be able to say what their main motivation was. So social. Another major one is intellectual. This will be people who say they've come to learn, either learn about histories or learn about other cultures, etc., and then the third large category is what we would call emotional or spiritual reasons. So people who come for a personal connection with a subject or an area of the world or a period in history. They might come to for a form of time travel, travelling back in time or travelling to another place or another country. They might come simply to see amazing emotionally um, startling things to recharge their batteries or to escape from the world. Those are all quite different. They all overlap a little, but they're all quite different things. So in answer to the question, are audiences for the arts changing, I would first of all say, well, what audiences are we talking about? And what do we mean by change in the, in the museum context? And my answer would be, Actually, it's crossover audiences. So audiences who come for one motivation actually leave having experienced another one. That's the first place for us to look for changing audiences in, in our museum and actually in the museum sector as a whole, I'd say. So I would argue that our strength in the British Museum is to create those audiences. So people who come, for example, to see um, the Terracotta Warriors... Uh, and they would have come, a lot of people we know came to find out more about Chinese history. They left having, having seen some great examples of actually really, really important and impressive art from ancient China. Um, an exhibition we've recently got on, the Hajj. Lots of people we know are coming because they want to find out more about one of the pillars of Islam. But as a result of that, they will be engaging with a whole range of Islamic art, whether it's contemporary art inspired by the Hajj or um, Islamic art from the past, which has been used as part of, part of the Hajj. But this crossover audience works in other ways as well. It works in the opposite direction. 
So we would have visitors who are attracted by the Grayson Perry exhibition, for example, who would come expecting to see the Tomb of the Unknown Craftsman, expecting to explore the work of Grayson Perry and the way that that interacts with the British Museum's work, who might leave with an interest in pilgrimage or an interest in the history of collecting. So those crossover audiences, the three categories I spoke out before, about before, actually can lead to new audiences and changing audiences. This begs two questions in my mind. The first one is, does it matter if audiences don't realise that they're engaging with art? So does it matter if a visitor to our Hadrian exhibition who, who leaves and says, and a lot of them, them did say that, I've learnt a lot more about the history of the Roman Empire and Hadrian's life. In order to do that, they've engaged with some world-class examples of classical art. If they don't notice that, if they don't realise, if they don't vocalise it, if they don't consciously think it, does that matter? Is someone only counted as new audience for the arts if they consciously realise they're engaged? That's my first question. It's a really interesting and, I think, actually a very important one. Um, Which leads to my second question related to this. Where does the definition of art begin and end? It's an age-old question, but I'm going to to look at it in a slightly different way. I've said already, are our objects art? Who decides? Grayson Perry selected objects from the collection. Does that mean that everything he selected is art? Because he's an artist who selected them. This session is about artists and audiences. But I'm going to focus just now from the audiences bit. And I'm going to say... What would the world look like if we said that only, only audiences can decide what art is? If artists think, if audiences think that what they've seen is art, it then become art, becomes art, what does that look like? Okay, I'll answer the second two questions very quickly. What kind of art will will the audiences want to interact with in the future? Well, um, we covered this a lot in the first, in the morning session, and I think the, the agreement was fairly unanimous that actually audiences don't really know what it is they will want to engage with in the future. If you ask people, they will tell you examples of what they have seen already. It's very hard for all of us to imagine what we haven't seen already. And that means, in answer to the third question... How can we ensure that this great art is available to them? I would say that it's up to us as institutions, it's up to artists um, to actually keep on pushing the boundaries, to in fact introduce audiences to new types of art. That then means... so So our responsibility is to keep on innovating... um, audiences will know, once they've seen it, whether it's art they want to continue interacting with in the future. Um, And actually, we need to not be afraid of failure. There'll be some things we introduce that won't work. Hey, but that we have to live with that, because otherwise you won't innovate. You'll always be scared. But that then places a second onus on institutions such as the British Museum, which is to define success and to be really clear... That we, are, that we are talking to our audiences and finding out from them what works. It's not enough, I would argue, to say that something has been successful if we've watched large numbers of people come in to, say, one of our exhibitions. 
Because I, I would argue that actually we may misguess what's going on there. They might be coming for very different reasons. It might not actually be successful in the way that we've defined success. So we need, need to define what we mean by successful and we need to actually speak to our audiences. And finally, it also, I think the other thing we should be pleased to do is to continue doing things that we know are successful if something, something is successful, we shouldn't go, great, we've done that. Now let's move on to something highly experimental. We should keep going, and this is something we do in museums, those things that are successful. That's not necessarily dumbing down. That's not necessarily being lazy. It's basically about, it's basically about making sure that good art is available to our audiences. That's it. I'm going to stop. Thank you, Zexis. And uh, I'm going to, unless people are burning... Uh, to ask a question of uh, Xerxes, uh, to hand over to Bradley in a moment. But I think I was possibly remiss in my role of chair in not re-articulating the questions that we're addressing in this session. Uh, it was pretty clear through that presentation, and they were reiterated, but I will do that, I will restate them before Bradley addresses them so that we know what we were exploring together and then we can explore it together uh, as a group. So, are audiences for the arts changing? What kind of art do you think they'll want to interact with in the future? How can we ensure that it's available to them? Those were the questions that we addressed prior to this morning's session. Some other questions have come up. We'll bring those in, but for the moment, let's continue to explore those. OK, do you mind if we swap so I can reach the controls? Do the button in, the button right. pressing, yeah. Um, and I'll swap this out to you. Yes. Oh. I was going to say, well, why don't you come and sit here? OK. <laughs> and I'll it's, it's the dance of the conference rather than the dance of the day. It's alt and... Great. I'm just going to uh, kick off by just showing you a very short film to uh, introduce uh, uh, the organisation for which I work. So um, here we go.
difficult times economically. Things are quite hard for a lot of people. And I think a free festival is more powerful than ever for that very reason. Um, this year, we have a number of artists who are presenting work that deals with quite serious themes. We have a work that deals with climate change. We have work that deals with regeneration. We have work that deals with homelessness. International Festival has continued to push the boundaries for free outdoor arts. We successfully built on our reputation for creating uniquely accessible and spectacular outdoor events and as we move towards 2012, GDIF is well placed to play a key role in putting British outdoor arts firmly on the national cultural map. So um, the festival, as you've just seen, is an outdoor arts festival. We take place every year. Um, and uh, we're very fortunate insofar as we take place against these most extraordinary backdrops in uh, Greenwich and East London World Heritage Sites, the um, you know, incomparable settings that we have at Canary Wharf, and also these extraordinary um, and perhaps less well-known sites such as Woolwich, um, where we have a kind of strong rapport and engagement with the local audience. I think a lot about the festival as a way of telling uh, the story and showcasing and showing Greenwich and East London new as I put it together each year. Um, we um, last year attracted an audience of 80,000 and I just wanted uh, to pick up I suppose in this, this point here about congregations uh, something that I think characterises all this work that happens these days in the outdoors that there's something very interesting that happens with the audience um, in an outdoor festival such as GDIF that perhaps doesn't happen in quite the same way in the building based performing arts world and that word congregation is always with me I'm not at all a, an evangelical or Christian no, or anything like this but I think it's a, it's a very interesting word because the, the audience and the, and the members of the audience are a protagonist in what happens out there, you know, that you've got this stagecraft that moves in surprising and unexpected ways all around you. You're very much swept up in that dynamic, and your reaction and your involvement and your passion for what's happening out there is what makes those experiences truly unique. So it was interesting to hear Helen Marriage talk about missionaries this morning, and, and Zerzis has just been talking to us about pilgrimage. So there's perhaps something in all of this, 
and uh, and the and the Preston Passion too. Um, so um, uh, you know, we we work in a variety of different ways to make that work happen outside. Some of it, as you'll have seen in the video, is work that we bring in from from other parts of the UK and present in, from international artists. But we're also very interested in developing new work with artists who may not have ever thought about working outdoors before to affect that extraordinary dynamic and relationship um, between the artist and the audience. Um, and one of the things that um, we do make sure that we do every year is we do... we. We do conduct a huge amount of audience research and feedback, and we particularly value the qualitative feedback uh, that comes back. Uh, and um, knowing how the audience engages in the festival is very important for us. A lot of outdoor arts festivals, I think you'll find, have a feeling that the job is done by virtue of the fact that the work might take place free and on the streets and in public places. That is, of course, all great. But there's something very important about knowing who you're communicating with and having the conversation with in the street uh, or in the public space. And I think, uh, too, it's, it's true that, uh, as Helen was saying earlier on this morning, perhaps those public spaces aren't quite as accessible as you thought they might have been. Perhaps there are parts of our cities that aren't present on those streets, and we have to think about that, which brings me to the next part of the presentation and, and why um, I've got this rather impossible double role this year, um, that, that one of the things that our festivals done a lot of work on over the last few years is engaging with disabled artists and disabled audiences and that's come out of a real strong um, belief and commitment in the, the, in the way in which we want our demography, our audience to reflect the city in which we live that comes back to that congregation idea again, if, you, if you're, you're in that audience it's very important people tell us this in their feedback cards that the feeling you have as a member of the audience is that you are at one as it were with the city in which you live and that's, that's a sort of a very very powerful um, belief for me in terms of what we're doing outdoors there, so in engaging with disabled artists um, something that really there had been some work done I remember in 2000 there was a wonderful company called Strathcona who don't exist anymore but uh, there had been some very interesting work done but very uh, very small scale and, and, and very fragile work done with disabled artists in the outdoors and we set ourselves the task of actually developing uh, a body of work that could be shown outdoors with disabled artists the, the visuals you see there are from um, from productions that we've created with Grey Eye um, Theatre Company, but we've worked with many more with um, Extant, with Heart and Soul, with Kanduko, etc., etc. And um, I, think, I think that that uh, has been a very interesting journey. You know, in terms of working with um, Grey Eye, for example, we've uh, worked with a company who had no experience of, of the outdoor world and gone on a journey with them to open up new possibilities through collaboration with international artists. I'm thinking particularly of the relationship that Jenny and I have created with the Australian uh, street theatre company Strange Fruit, which has enabled uh, BSL um, to work at height for audiences of large numbers. You know, and, and that kind of problem-solving has been very much a part of our relationship together. Um, our audience is uh, changing... Um, I should, sorry, just go back to this. That I think one of the things from that 
audience research that we find most interesting is that rather than the audience being ambient and in and out and not and this being an instant experience, I was hearing some of that about the in the last presentation uh, with Arlene Phillips, this sort of instantaneous entertainment concern. There is a real engagement by the audience. They come back to us and tell us about how they felt about not only the work that they saw, but the place in which they saw it, which I find very interesting. So um, in terms of this... Um, composition of, 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 of audiences and how they're changing. What we've done through working with disabled artists is, is radically change the composition of the audience. We now had in 2011 11.5% uh, of the audience who described themselves as deaf and or disabled, which I think is extraordinary. You know, that's a, that's a real transformation from from an, an audience where we might you know, descri describe a naught point naught naught of a percent uh, as describing themselves in that way. So that's uh, important to us. Um, the, the, uh, another series of perhaps more complicated, and I've, I've used a lot of my time with the film, I'm sorry, but uh, the transformation of perception that I think is really an interesting part of working in the outdoors. And the visual you see here is from a production that we commissioned, um, co-commissioned with um, Tipping Point um, and, and other partners in uh, 2010, uh, 2011 as part of the Without Walls uh, Consortium of Street Arts Festivals is very important. This was a show that was very much about climate change, but had a very compelling dramaturgical thrust through it. It was not dry, it was not boring, it really engaged people and moved them. And I think that uh, narrative question that's been referred to a lot earlier on in pre other presentations is very important there. So uh, I'm going to race a little bit and not talk to all of these. I'm just going to give you a little bit on this. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say very much. Um, but this is a, a unique... Uh, moment as far as Jenny Seeley and I are concerned for, um, for disabled artists and also because I come from this sector as well for outdoor artists uh, in this country and we are absolutely profoundly committed to placing those artists that we've worked with over the years at the centre of this extraordinary occasion when we have the opportunity to communicate you know, not just with the audience of thousands and tens of thousands that we work with every year but a global audience of half a billion um, and that ambition for us is very much about the transformation of um, perception and, and the way in which people um, see and understand uh, the position of disabled people in our society. So um, it, it's an exciting time for us both. Um, I'm just going to finish up by saying uh, you know, a, a few more points here to take forward, really, about the importance of remembering the audience as an active protagonist in all of this. This doesn't mean to say that we have to uh, uh, completely uh, engage them in every artistic choice that's being made. That's not the point. It's actually embracing them and working with them as a dynamic figure within these occasions that we create in the outdoors. Um, the importance of play and surprise, delight and virtuosity in terms of the, the skills and experience you bring in the outdoors is of course very important narrative um totally in terms of uh, of the of the of the of the uh the story that that we at gdif are trying to tell about the place in which we're living uh, here you're seeing a, an, an image of um all that solid melts into air by a brilliant company called tangled feet uh, which tells a very compelling story about urban change and regeneration um we, alongside the work that we do, we, we've, we've described, we see that the work we do with deaf and disabled artists is very much part of this um, compelling story about representing the diversity of our cities in our work. And more and more, we're working in areas where um, 
where politically driven outdoor theatre is at the heart of what we're doing. There's some exciting commissions in store this year with the Lyric Hammersmith, um, with Nabokov and Les Enfants Terribles and Curious Directive. But that sense of urgency for us is very important. And I'm sorry I've overrun, so thank you. No, do, no, do, do make right. a final point. Okay. Oh, a collaboration. I was just doing a little bit of, you know, All right. bit of, bit of this. <laughs> Um, uh, so um, the collaboration story is very much part of what's happened with Grey Iron, and I think that we've learned from that that uh, the way to make some of this very interesting work happen is by bringing in parties that you may not have thought about at the beginning. The other point in terms of how to ensure it's available um, in terms of collaboration, I think it's very, very important that local authorities are at the heart of what makes the Greenwich and Docklands International Festival possible. And um, that dialogue with local authorities is always, for all of us, very challenging. These are very, very tough times. Um, but I think that if you engage in that in a creative and collaborative way, you know, there's no there, there, that that is part of the battle, and that the case has to constantly be remade and remade in new and surprising ways. I think so. I you know I never give up on a local authority who tells me no. Um, so um, uh, and I think this business of the conversation with the audiences relates back to what I was saying about um, uh, about congregation um, we're very much interested in bringing um, more of the digital um, world to bear in what we do I always stand in these outdoor events and see a myriad of iPhones in the air and always think we should be doing more with that so we're going to start thinking about that and um, Above all, I think, in terms of what our values are at GDIF and that representing the diversity of the city, keeping it free is profoundly important. So we, we, we keep the faith there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very, very enjoyable presentation. I think we've already got lots of answers. We've already got our, 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 our uh, Sherlockian... Uh, uh, approach uh, well honed. Um, now I'm going to be a little bit of a hog to start off with. I'm going to ask a question of each of the uh, speakers then I'm going to open it out and just so that you, I'm being totally transparent in this chairing process uh, you know that I would then want to bring in some of the things that have come out of this morning and then democratise that together we identify what are the things that we uh, want to come, you know, what are the issues that we want to take solutions forward with. Uh, we might not be answering the questions that we started with um, uh, at the end of it. So, uh, firstly, uh, a question to, to, to each of you, and then we'll open out. Um, uh, Bradley talked about uh, uh, street arts uh, and the work that might be made in a place reflecting that place, reflecting the city in which it takes place. And uh, clearly, uh, as a director of a festival in Preston, I'm very mindful of the need to reflect that city, hence... Uh, working on Preston Passion, hence working with the people of that place about what motivates them. You are running a national institution in a city. What role does uh, that sense of place have in the work and the thinking that you do around artist and audience connections? And I think, <clears throat> and I think that comes right back to my first point, which is about understanding your audiences. So we know the percentage of people or the types of people who come from within Camden which is where we're based, the um, London borough, from within London as a whole, from within the home counties, the UK and across the world. And we will do things to make sure that they work for all of those different, different audiences because we know they come from different things. Um, and in response to understanding what our Camden and our London audiences want, um, we will be working 
with the, we'll be very mindful of that, and we'll be working with local artists, with local universities, and with the art schools. Um, so, for example, the Grayson Perry Late that we put on was entirely done with the University of the Arts, for example, um, and working with the students there to put on things that, that worked f- as much for a London audience and a Camden audience as it did for a national audience. Excellent. Thank you, Xerxes. Yeah. And uh, Bradley, um, when uh, Xerxes talked about the artwork or the artefact, does it matter if they don't know it's art. In terms of what happens in, in, in public space, does it matter that audiences who may be gathering for the first time don't think of that work as art? I don't think that does matter. I think the, the thing that matters is, is that public, is that audience moved and transformed, um, is the way this, they, they might think about the place they've just seen it in, slightly changed by that. Those are the things that I'm going for rather than worrying about whether they think it's art or entertainment. or um, It was quite interesting, one of those quotes. Um, I saw that um, a woman who'd attended in Woolwich, which is one of our cold spot areas, a, a big outdoor spectacle, uh, wrote, um, it's a bit of a live fairy tale in our mundane lives, a stupendous performance and captivating concert. We want more. Well, she, she'd been to see an event called Giraffes from a French company called Company Off, and they sang opera in it, but it was as you know it. So she, she decided it was a concert, which I thought was quite interesting. Excellent. Thank you. Now, over to you for uh, anything you want to ask of our two speakers before we uh, broaden the debate. Hello, my name's Yasmin. I'm a Claw Fellow. Uh, my question is under the theme of um, how we can ensure good art is available to everybody. And I was really struck when Bradley said that yours is a free outdoor festival. And in slight contrast, we have the free... Um, British Museum, but with paid-for exhibitions, and both the exhibitions you gave, Grace and Perry and Hadge, um, they're paid for, I think, £11, which is quite hefty if you want to come with your family. And I just wonder if that's creating a barrier to the lower um, economic um, groups of um, audiences, and if you have any solutions as to how you can tackle that, because you could be preventing um, people that could be connecting with those exhibition themes from engaging with the museum. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's why if you look at national museums, and, and let's just broaden this out to all national museums, they, they do a variety of different things. So we have free exhibitions alongside paid-for exhibitions, but we also do, um, we do previews for our community groups based within London, where they, can, where they can come in and see, before the general public see an exhibition that's opened, we give out free tickets to the groups. Um, and then we also, um, our, our exhibitions, for example, are free to children. So if you're coming as a family, you get, the children will get in free, um, and, or, or any children will get in free, and school groups as well. But I think, the, I think actually it's about the balance between the vast majority of things that um, national museums do are free, um, and a small number of things are paid for. The vast majority of our collection you can see for free. The vast majority of our collection is on the website for free. Um, if you want to see an object that's in our store, you can actually ask to see it, etc., etc. So, so it's about that. It's about that mixed model. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Don't forget to tell us who you are before you speak. I'm Richard Lee, you, you are deliberately mumbling. Um, I just spent the last... Sorry. I just spent um, the last um, discussion in there, um, and that's what it sounded like to me. Um, And I was talking to the theatre director uh, about a year ago, um, and 
I was saying it's the most wonderful opera at the Young Vic. Extraordinary, incredible work. And I, I couldn't get hold of a libretto, then didn't have one. Um, and there were no so titles. And uh, it was a beautiful sound. And I could follow the story from the pictures. But I had no idea what was being sung at all. And I said this to um, a director who, who said to me, you know, I've been having discussions about this. And you know, Richard, you're, you're not disabled. Theatres disable you. And th this is what's been occurring to me in this whole di discussion about audiences. That actually, the, the audience that Bradley, I think, really teased out there, the, the different sectors, it, they're easy to identify as different sectors, but the one thing that doesn't happen is the, the sector called the audience that doesn't declare itself as disabled or having a particular interest or a problem. Just want to go and see a show. And by and large, most institutions find that somehow they, that they tread in this area and they try to make things accessible. They don't always go the whole hog. They don't recognize the audience. You have to, if you like, declare your disability. And the problem is simply about making sure that your theatre does the job, your, your venue, your, your festival. Um, is, there a was, is there a question There is here? a question. Yeah. I was delighted to see subtitles on that film. It's the first thing I've seen all, all day where I could actually follow every single word. And I know that's a great rarity, and I know I've been banging on about it all day. But what I am finding is that um, this undeclared audience doesn't have an issue, isn't using the D word, it just wants to go and take in the talks at the BM, but they can't because they will only sign them. They want to go and take in theatre, but there's no access, and this thing doesn't always work, and some people can't use them. And when you raise it, everyone around it makes excuses or doesn't check it. But it's not like the first thing on the agenda. And I wonder to what extent, and I, I know your work, Bradley, so I know what your answer is, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know the BM so much because um, many museums. But I want to know at what point will that sense of the audience as a whole be the first thing on your agenda in the future? Sorry to bang on. I'm very, very conscious that this is focusing on the institution rather than the general the just discuss, discussion over what we're talking about. But, but, I mean, please talk to me afterwards about the specifics. But I'd like to think that we really do think about our audiences first. I'd really, really like to think that. Um, we do have... Uh, we do have um, uh, um, disabled advisory groups of people who come in and look at what we're doing. We do respond to what they say. Um, and we are really, really trying hard to put in place when people point things out to us. We really do try. Obviously, we, don't, we can't do everything, but we really do want to hear about things and make changes as a result. Thank you. Um, I'm only going to take two more questions of our speakers before we, before we go broader, unless that person on the back is absolutely burning, because we are, we are supposed to be... Uh, moving into the problem solving. But uh, if you'd like to tell us who you are and give us your question, thank you. Andy Stratford, uh, business manager at Walk the Plank. 
And this is a question partially for the speakers, but also perhaps to the wider audience in the room. Um, any building-based institution, as Xerxes has demonstrated, can easily define its audience. Um, those are the people who choose to cross the thresholds, who choose to enter and buy tickets. So what is it that we who are in the outdoor sector know about our audiences? Um, Bradley has said that he's done a lot of measuring work on his audiences. Is there any evidence that the attendance of audiences at free outdoor events and free festivals mean that they then choose to go and cross thresholds into institutions and buildings? And does that matter if they do? Uh, or is, in fact, just their attendance and their being caught up as a congregation in an outdoor event enough? Thank you for that question, because uh, there was uh, some weight put on uh, uh, in Xerxes' presentation about the crossover between the different types of audience that came to see different types of exhibitions. So interesting to hear uh, Bradley's response. Do audiences cross over uh, from uh, uh, work in the public domain into uh, other areas of arts activity? I mean, we've got um, some information on that in terms of what we've started to do um, with that more dramaturgically and politically driven work that I've described. But I'll be able to answer that question much better at the end of this summer um, because we're commissioning um, with the London 2012 Festival and um, the Royal Borough of Greenwich um, a new um, production from Handspring, which is going to be our first building-based organisation. It's something we haven't, to be honest, measured um, in detail before. It's something that we haven't, uh, we haven't um, plotted. But from this year onwards, we all know what that, uh, what that uh, mobility is back into the indoors from the outdoors. I think the permeability of the indoors and the outdoors, though, is, is where it's all at in terms of the outdoors at the moment, and we're obviously very excited by that. Thank you for that. Um, we, we, there may well be some evidence in the Taking Part survey. Xerxes has very, just written me a little note here just to uh, help me out of chair. Um, and I have no it, idea it, it may is. or may not. It may or may not be useful. It, it's, it's whether um, is everybody aware of the Taking Part Survey, uh, which does give um, uh, quite a lot of indicators across the UK. Would you like to come in with your question then? Yeah, my question is really Amanda Huxtable, theatre director from Yorkshire. I really want to speak mainly to Bradley about the evaluation. I'm really intrigued at the detail, the practical of how we get those voices heard. Well, obviously, there's a clue here about how um, access to um, the great art is, is, is free. You know, the, the communities uh, can come to both the British Museum and access the, the Greenwich Festival because it's free, which is wonderful. I know this because I was that child who was part of Greenwich Festival and grew up and had the wonderful experience. It really brought back some huge memories for me, so thank you for that, that heritage. But my story, even though I'm an artist and, uh, you know, have been in the business for 20 years, hasn't been recognised or evaluated because we were just one of many families watching. How do we capture, you know, what's been learned, what's been shared, what's been, you know, how do you evaluate that? You know, uh, 20 years ago, a small Jamaican family sat watching Chinese opera. It changed my life. You know, that's just my own personal experience that I'm sharing to kind of, you know, let you know that there are missed opportunities where those stories aren't being evaluated because it just got missed. Mm. And we're at a great uh, opportunity, state, the state of the arts today, talking about not measuring the money, although let's face it, they always will. 
but you know we're measuring that absolute essential importance that 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 to the heart humanity how, how do we make sure that we get all the voices heard um, that I found very touching so thank you for that um, and um and we've by no means got the full answer to that question, of course. Um, I can tell you what we do at the moment. I can tell you what I might like to do. Um, we, at the moment, we do a, primarily a self-completion questionnaire, and we have a team of volunteers who are out there in the audience talking to them because, obviously, a self-completion questionnaire, even though it's on one side of an A5 card and it's got a free post address on it, is still inaccessible for a lot of people. Some people might not fancy doing that. They might think, well, why am I being asked for this information? So that, that in, a self, in itself is a barrier, but we use that and we try and, um, we, we try and, we try and supplement that with things that we do on site. But I think there's another part of the storytelling of, um, of the area that we're, we're, we're living in, which we're missing, and I would love to be able to do that, to document and bring that together in some way, because there are lots of anecdotal stories like that that I know some of, but you know there are an infinite number of them, and it's so very refreshing to hear that. I mean, some kind of um, some some archive or some documentation of that would be fabulous. And thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Um, I'm aware that some of you will have been in the session this morning. Can I get a sense of how many of you were in the? I think they call it the parallel session, don't they? Parallel universe. It was this morning's session. Apart from the two, apart from the two speakers, around artists and audiences. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I think it is worth feeding back. Indeed. Indeed. And so let's share together that frustration <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and just here again, let's just reiterate some of the things that, that uh, uh, we heard from Sue Harrison, who chaired this morning's discussion, about some of the themes that emerged from that session and identify together which of those themes we want to explore further uh, and look to solutions for. Okay, so... Um, just going right back to the very beginning, though, we were all together and we all heard Kirsty say, artists should be at the centre. What we've been talking about this afternoon is uh, the, uh, the programme of producer uh, mediating artists with audiences, uh, the curator uh, uh, selector or the artist selector uh, identifying objects and artefacts for audiences. Uh, how, how do we put the artist at the centre? And, and, and one of the things that came out of this morning, I'm told, is should artists engage more with the audiences they wish to reach? Where is the voice of the artist in that connecting to the audience? So some of the things that we, uh, we heard Sue talk about and some of the things that she didn't bring up in that little two minutes that she had were uh, key words that came out of that discussion this morning about trust about artists trusting the programmer producer to find the right audience, to find the, find the right context for them, and audiences trusting that the artist would take them on a journey or that the programmer producer would uh, uh, provide the right uh, uh, ambience for the work. We talked a little bit about uh, respect, the respect that uh, artists should have for the audience they're trying to reach 
and that audiences uh, may need to have for the process and the artists that they're working with, and, and perhaps programmers produces in, in the middle of all of that. Um, and one of the things that I didn't hear Sue say, but she did say to me in her uh, synthesis of this morning, was about audiences feeling that they had a right to be there, that that family we've just heard about felt they had a right to be at the Chinese opera, that those who come into uh, museums feel they have a right to be there, that, that, that there is a respect for them as a first-time visitor or a 101st-time visitor. So words like trust and respect were coming out there. So in terms of those things that we might want to explore or want to engage with, it, I'm asking you, really, as, as the, the, fellow, uh, the fellow doctors, the, the Dr Watson. Uh, what are those things that we want to take forward in relation to audiences? Do we want to come up with solutions around the kind of art? Do we want to come up about, uh, with uh, uh, issues around how we make sure it's available to them? What are, the, what are the, perhaps the three burning things that we want to take out of this session that we want to offer, if not a solution, then a response, a strong response to? Sorry, um, Dan Ellett's Remarks Award. Yeah. Um, from what we've just been talking about in this se session, isn't it more about the question of how we can put the audiences at the centre? How than do we put the audiences how we at the centre? Rather than putting the artists at the centre. And then that would answer some of the other questions that we're, we're asking, probably. I think partly it is about both. And I, I was just struck by... Um, a story that I'd heard. Sorry, I'm Laura Dyer from the Arts Council. Uh, a story that I heard um, last week when I was um, when I was in the East Midlands, where Skinder, who runs New Art Exchange, was talking about the exhibition that they've got on at the moment, which is um, an artist, um, a, 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 an artist from Pakistan, Rashid Rana, who does quite challenging work, which is for particularly in in where New Art Exchange is is located and the community that they're working with was really quite challenging. And the artist was there for the private view. And he engaged really directly with some of the anger, actually, that came at that private view in reaction and in response to some of his work. And whilst I don't think he necessarily changed everyone's view on that, he had an open debate and discussion. And I think there is also a need, particularly with some work, and it was great to hear from Bradley about some of the work that's slightly more challenging that does actually create a reaction, you need to be able to have an opportunity to talk about that. It's not always possible directly to do that with the artist, but how you create and how when we're as curators of that work, create a space, safe space in which you can engage and talk about some of those difficult issues. Because actually one of the things, as we heard about this morning from Liz Fulgan, one of the roles for the artist is to say things that are difficult to hear. And I think that's important in terms of engaging with audiences. Thank you. Um, so I'm building up this little bank of questions, which is, uh, I, I, forgive me if I'm, if I'm uh, uh, oversimplifying, how do we capture the life-changing? How do we put the audience at the centre? How do we create a safe space for artists to engage with audiences about their work? Are there any more questions we want to really explore in more detail? There's one at the back there. one of the things we do with a community group is that I think it's around hospitality which most people do well, it sounds like Greenwich and I'm sure the museum do it well, that people are greeted 
as they go in, as they go out, that they're encouraged if they have something to say to use feedback forms, that, uh, that there's a possibility to have artists available and feedback. And I think it's just genuine hospitality. But if that's in place, then you've already got a relationship with your audience. And I think that if you're, it's a, for me, it's a thing about hospitality, which is obviously different at each event. But if you think about your hospitality, then you've got your audience in a good place. So, so, so that is part of the that is part of the this is part of the the solving the solutioning of how would we put audiences at the, at the centre. It's around hospitality. Are we are we are we are we gathering any more questions, or are we going into responses? Any more questions that we really want to address? Because we've got three at the minute. Are we still on questions. Yeah. Are we okay with this process as a way to get you know, to filter down? Um, no. How to recognise that audiences have individual needs. Which is partly back to Richard's uh, question, isn't it? How do we recognise that audiences have individual needs? And are we still on questions? We, I'm, I'm going back to the democratisation here. Are we all happy with that question? I should have said that with the other three. Are we all happy with that question? Four. Do we want a fifth? Five. Go on then. Try and compel you. Um, Alison Boyle, Arts Council. Literature Northwest, really building on Laura's point, um, what opportunities are we providing for audiences to be able to make creative responses to what's happening? So we're not just yeah. drawing out of them their commentary on the thing that's being provided, but something that I feel very passionate about here is what kinds of feedback. Um, it's, it could be uh, stimulated by difficult issues, but it might actually be just feedback which encourages, for instance, emerging writers by commenting, by the act of commenting on what they see. Great. I'm not going to accept any more uh, uh, how, how can we and what do we do, because we've got um, 12 and three quarter minutes to change the world, Tim. So, uh, we, so everything from now on is about uh, answering some or all of those questions. We're not going to answer all of them uh, in the same, uh, to the same level, but everything from now on is about practical problem solving and, and answering and ideas and things that we do. And I'm just going to chuck in uh, on audiences at the centre, of course, that whole thing around participation, the active audience, which, of course, plug again, is what the Preston Passion is all about, uh, getting people to move from... Uh, uh, audience into participants. So I'm going to say, after hospitality, participation is one of those things. Okay, uh, opening up, uh, stripey jumper over there. Remind us, uh, remember to tell us who you are. Hi, I'm Helen Meir from Swinburne Council. Just responding to the question over here about it changed your life. I really recommend some longitudinal studies, um, but that go back and talk to people five years, ten years, fifteen years. I can do the same as you now. I can look back. I can tell you about a workshop I did when I was 14 that changed my life. But when I filled out my evaluation form at the end of the weekend, I just said I've had a really nice time. Because I can, it's only with foresight. We have to have longitudinal studies in the arts. We don't have them. And I'm devastated at the way the Arts Council is responding to this whole issue at the moment. Please, it's a, a really big okay. plea. It's hugely expensive longitudinal study, but it, but it bears fruit. But okay. if we want to get yeah. councillors behind us, that's what we Absolutely need. Absolutely right. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, one here and then at the back. Hi, it's Phil Cave from the Arts Council, just responding to that. Um, <laughs> we've just launched a new programme called Creative People and Places, and that's a 10-year 
programme and it's looking at new ways of creating and distributing and talking about art. And I know not every place in the country is eligible to apply, but um, as part of that, we're, we're asking people to take a you can put your hand down at the back of vision and we're looking at a new evaluation framework for that as well. So although we used active people as a way of going, this is where we want to target our resources, we're, we, we've just commissioned the research programme in advance of starting it. We want to capture those stories and we want to be able to go back to government and do to look at our own investments and actually have a, a more nuanced understanding of what is working, apart from just looking at the numbers. Thank you. I'll, 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 go, back to, I'll go back to the speaker, yes, yeah, very quickly. I'm really pleased about the programme, and don't get me wrong, I think it's fantastic, but I'm really disappointed that the Arts Council haven't spoken to those local authorities who selected NI11 as a target in their local area agreements. I've just spent four years trying, some things successfully, some unsuccessfully, to raise engagement in the arts. You're not even talking to us about the lessons that we've learned before you're launching a brand new all singing, all dancing, you know, whatever. Please, okay. let's learn from the past instead of reinventing the wheel. So that's part of how do we capture life changing is uh, use the uh, experience of organisations who've used. Yep. At the back on the right. At the back on the right, please. Hello, um, my name's Iris Priest. I'm an artist from Newcastle. Um, I just wanted to sort of maybe slightly shift the angle at which we're addressing the answer, which is that perhaps putting either or the audience or the artist at the centre of the question is, is wrong, and perhaps we should actually be putting art at the centre of the question. Um, and maybe in talking about engagement, it's a dialogue between using that as a hub and between artists and audiences. And maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert, so I couldn't say what the solution is, but maybe some of that comes through education in terms of both artists' education and how they contextualise themselves within the community and within the wider context rather than in isolation. And also, in general education, people getting a greater connection to, to art and to feeling more at ease with kind of addressing that language. Okay, I think you are actually addressing our question five, which is how, what opportunities are we providing audiences to make a creative response? So that's artists and audiences coming together. Yeah? Here, and then... Sorry, um, there. I, can I make there. a comment on that? It might be something for a question, but Breck said, um, give us bread, morals follow on. The audiences have to be able to access the art before they can comment on it. And that may be a pricing thing, that may be a marketing thing, that may be an engagement thing, it may just simply be making the loop work. But, you know, you've got to get them in first. Thank you. So here in the middle, and then here. Thank you. Um, Daisy Edwards from the Mighty Creators in East Midlands. Um, actually, my... Um, two comments really one was following on from yours actually we need to make sure that it's accessible and by accessible I mean not only physically but actually there's a real role here for education because I think there's quite a few organizations I, I mean I have a background in gallery education as well there's loads of exhibitions that I've put on over the years where well not personally obviously I leave that to the curators um, when I've been creating an education program which part of the success of the actual exhibition and getting the audiences in has been engaging with outside groups but also educating them to an extent that they feel like they know what's going on they understand it and all the feedback and all of the kind of information that we've gathered has been that they don't want 
audiences don't want things to be dumbed down for them. They want to be able to access this kind of perhaps highbrow art, but they want to be able to understand it on their terms. They want to be able to engage with it on their terms and to have that education and those kind of extra. So, bits how do you ensure on it's on their them. terms? Talk to them. Know your audience. And I think the other thing we need to know is what response are we looking for? Are we looking to educate them? Are we looking to provide them with enjoyment? Are we looking to provide them with kind of something to pass their leisure time with? Because that will dictate how we engage with them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Victoria Allen from Theatre Royal in Plymouth. Um, I just think that as organisations we need to move away from this thing that I call it's kind of a hierarchy of engagement and think much more broadly in terms of how we define audiences and it very much follows on from what the lady was saying here around um, there are many many points in which somebody can engage with an organization it might be through an education workshop a participation program coming to see a show coming for a cup of coffee and happening to look at the work on the walls I think there are many ways we can engage with people and we need to stop thinking that an audience is a very defined somebody who buys a ticket and is a bum on a seat. So respect and value to those people who come into the cup of coffee as much as those who sign up to be friends. Somebody behind you, I saw a hand. Hi, I'm Victoria First from the Lawrence Batley Theatre in Yorkshire. Um, I think it's following on from the point about you have to get people in to see the work first. I think actually there's a, there's a critical mass of that you have to get people in to see more than one piece of work so in order to bring it closer to their lifestyle. Um, um, if, if somebody goes to the cinema and they don't like the film they don't go, oh cinema isn't for me they just go, that particular film was shite <laughs> and so I think it's the same with, with performance or any other kind of consumption of art really, is that we need to engage with people's serial times and so I'm interested in looking at strategies mm -hmm. to do that. Okay, so what are they? What are those strategies? Yes, that's, that's, we're, we're in the problem solving uh, arena now, what are the strategies to ensure that people who go and see theatre and, and hate it uh, and, uh, never, and never come back again. What, how do we re-engage them? I think have, we got a, have, we got, have we got some answers coming up here? Was, was that an answer? Is that going to be an answer? Great. And then we'll come over here. Um, I think um, removing the cost barrier, I think uh, long-term relationships with people and communities, I think uh, working in partnership with gatekeepers, I think about delivering festivals or series of work over time. I mean, there's lots of things that have been talked about already. being an antidote uh, queen I just wanted to kind of share I, I really think it's about it, it's got to be about connections and, and being in collaborative so one for for British Museum is that you know you had a major partnership with the BBC you had a series called Relics for young people it engaged young children it entertained the Eileen Phillips style you know entertainment and it drew young people into the space of British Museum they wouldn't have gone anywhere near it otherwise and uh, I kind of basically fooled my youngest, in, you know, by doing that. Opened up the whole world and, 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 and it's an extraordinary experience. So that, to me, it must be connecting right through. We in this country, I think, are really very happy in our own um, silos. We talked about that before, didn't we? The theatre doesn't work with the dance, the, you know, and, and museums and libraries and, uh, you know, the whole outdoor um, you know, creativity is, 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 is an, it's literally outdoor. We don't connect... And if we did, we'd have a much better experience for, the, for, for all our audiences. So, so just going back on that uh, description, what was, what was the key to its success? Well, the key to its success is the mass, you know, um, for me, the museums and seeing art in the, the museums because they connected with the BBC. 
bottom line is they had a great program that we could all afford that we paid as as as, as license fee um, we paid for that, 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 that major educational tool that went in. Because the production value is high, then the audiences um, appreciate it. But, the, you know, the, you go and, and, it, and it, 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 it basically lived on beyond that programme. Yeah, because actually there was one, there was one question that came up uh, in an earlier discussion, which was how can we ensure people remain engaged beyond that engagement, beyond that participation? So what you're saying is high-quality tools are one way uh, of retaining engagement. What are the other ways of retaining engagement? Somebody here who... No, I w yeah, I was just going to make a comment on... Um, I'm Stephen Munn from Deda in Derby, and we run a, a festival called Derby Festi, and it's been going for Which six years now. Which is brilliant, yeah, I've been to it. You know, it's very good, very good. And um, <laughs> we, we, we use um, Bradley's, you know, uh, the, the Grange and Docklands as a model, uh, actually. And just in terms of how Festi started, it was a group of um, cultural organisations that used the festival as a driver for audiences, so the idea behind it was to get audiences engaged through the festival, use the, use the festival as a tool to bring in a, a breadth of work that could engage audiences and then with a, with, a, with, a, with a pure line of crossing them over into the venues, bums on seats to, get, you know, to, to keep the business argument going. Now, we've tried to measure it and we've tried to, um, you know, to, to find out what that crossover is and we, we haven't you know, got the figures directly. There is some evidence that there is crossover. But I, I, the point I'm trying to make is, for me, the festival is a fantastic tool to introduce people to the, the arts and cross them over into the venues and, and, and keep a sustained audience. Okay. What I'm going to say okay. is you're not jumping in because we really are uh, at the end of the session. So I am going to ask I'm the final points for both okay, of you. Yeah? yeah, If that's all right. Unless there's anybody there burning whose hand has not been seen. Yeah? Okay. I'm, I'm going to pull together quite a lot of what people have said, actually, which is that um, to place audiences at the centre of what you do... Um, one of can you all hear me? Okay, yep. To place audiences into what you do, one of the things you need to do is to provide a variety of different things because audiences are very, very different, and different non-visitors certainly to a museum will have many different barriers. Some of those will be about the cost. Some of those will be, and so yes, you do need to make things free, but that won't work for everyone. For some of those, it will be about meeting and greeting at, at the front. But for other people, they can't imagine anything worse than being met by somebody. For other people, it will be cult culturally off their radar. We know that there are people who can't face using transport in London, who've never been to the centre of London, etc., etc. For some people, it will be a misunderstanding of what museums are or what they currently do today. In terms of, um, and so what you need to do is you need to talk to people, as we've said, and be prepared to put in place a wide variety of things. Be prepared to segregate, uh, to segment your audiences. And trust is key to this. You mentioned trust at the beginning. The thing that will keep someone coming back to your cinema if they've had a bad experience the first time is if they trust and know that you are doing your best to put on things that will appeal to you and you put on high-quality things, etc. That's where trust comes in. Your publics have to trust that have to trust you as a venue. That, that, that's my little summing up. Thank you very much, Xerxes. Um, anything anything uh, you want to uh, pull back? 
from uh, this uh, discussion? D uh, one word in my, in my presentation was urgency. And I think that putting that in the heart of, of what, we, what we deliver and create with artists is very, very important. When Jenny and I started on working on our opening ceremony, we were like Chameleon in that film this morning. We had a completely blank canvas. But we've got a really compelling message about all our human rights, and in particular the rights of deaf and disabled people, which isn't just for us in the UK, it's for everyone in the world. And that was our starting point. And I think that that... If you, it doesn't mean that everything has to be issue-based, but it, if you, I think if you're taking work into the street or anywhere else, there has to be this kind of sense of, of extraordinary purpose, uh, for me anyway. Uh, so. um, thank you. And uh, I know I've done a lot of uh, talking and getting stuff out of you, but um, having spent two years working with the people of Preston to try and create a festival for them and about them and with them... Uh, I think you've got to love your audience. I think you've got to want to be with them. You want, you've got to want to spend time with them as much as you want to spend time with great artists and creative people and fun colleagues. Uh, because if you don't want to be with those people who can be sometimes really annoying because they text you to say they fell over in the street in, a, in an outdoor show or they, or they really hated what Grace and Perry did or you looked really stupid in that photograph in the newspaper and you, you know, it's all very immediate, it all comes in every day uh, from all kinds of people and they're your audience and you have to deal with them because they're important, they're, they're what you're making the, work, uh, making the work for and with. So knowing them... Uh, uh, and respecting uh, their needs and understanding the diversity, uh, which is a word that Kirsty started out with, I think is absolutely crucial. And I can feel the passion in this room about that communication and about making that work. And I think that, again, is another important word for us all, passion. It's, not, it's not a, certainly not the money that's motivating it. Uh, you know, it, it, it's that deep sense of caring. And letting audiences know that, you know, that you do, that you do care that it's their first time, that you do welcome them and that you do uh, want to make uh, it a really special and potentially life-changing experience. So thank you, everybody, for this session. Uh, uh, fellow um, uh, explorers, fellow solvers, we haven't changed the world, we haven't solved everything, but we have uh, at least had a, a, a good and uh, uh, motivating, I hope, uh, discussion about bringing artists and audiences together. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England.